0: What I prepared to talk tonight about is. Um, yeah, by the way, feel free to uh, you know change your posture, <coughs> stretch out, do whatever you need to do, to be uh, in it the least amount of pain as possible. But what I what I've prepared to talk about tonight is um, is really almost what. Well, it's it's widely uh, acknowledged as the first teaching. Um, of the Buddha uh, after his awakening. And there's very few things that um, all of the different Buddhist sects actually uh, believe and get along or agree with. There's lots of different philosophy, uh, Buddhist philosophy, lots of different (coughs) kind of practices. Um, And there actually is some controversy about even that this being the first teaching. um, And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. but the, this is the teaching of the four noble truths, uh, which is thought to uh, encompass really all um, of the Buddha's teaching in the first teaching. So shortly after the Buddha's enlightenment, he set out to find his old buddies. Right? He had been training with these uh, five ascetics uh, in um you know, kind of a rural area and doing this extreme ascetic practice. And um, then there was this this point <clears throat> when there was this point when um, the Buddha had well, the Buddha to be uh, Siddhartha, Siddhartha Gautama had come to this understanding that this was not the path that this extreme asceticism um, wasn't uh, wasn't going to lead to his uh, ultimate awakening and he decided to leave um, and there's this well I'll just kind of say more about that later so so when the Buddha had come to a decision to teach so he searched his mind for those um, who he felt would be able to hear and comprehend this level of awakened reality the Buddha was skeptical of others uh, being able to hear um, and comprehend the truth of the awakened mind. So, after he he had become awakened, after he had you know it's enlightenment or nibbana, there's lots of different ways to call it, um, but I, I like to think of it as as awakening, awakening the sleeping mind, which is ultimately what we're all trying to do. That's what the Buddha pointed to. Um, but so as he kind of looked through his mind, his awakened mind, uh, to find who might he be able to, you know, give these teachings to that might hear it. Um, He thought, well, you know, uh, his ascetic friends were close as he was close, just as he was close, before he left the life of extreme asceticism. That the Buddha talked of seeing that in every generation there would be few with less dust in their eyes, there would be few, um, there would be few who were uh, asleep, or as asleep as the rest, few that who few that would be willing to go against the stream of ignorance, greed, and hatred, which was uh, was and is. Kind of the status quo of uh, of our time and of the Buddha's time of this this idea of of being asleep is this idea of living out of ignorance, greed, um, and and uh, hatred. So the Buddha was like you know racking his brains you know and going okay I don't know I don't know if people are going to really get this. And he actually there was a moment where he um, in the suttas, in the, the the teachings of the Buddha where where he was kind of contemplating whether or not he should teach at all. Um, And then he said, well, you know, he actually, there's another story about how um, uh, uh, a deity, uh, a a god-like being came uh, in the Buddha's mind. And whether this is a higher understanding of self, of, you know, identification or mind or whether it's actually was a god is, you know, also highly debated. But, uh, that there was an, uh, something that came into um, the Buddha's mind that that urged him that there would be few in every generation who would have less dust in their eyes. <clears throat> so, so the Buddha set out to um, to find these uh, these five ascetics where he had left them. He was hoping they would still be there, and. Um, and there was it was a bit of a walk from where he was to, to in in uh, this no, in northern India to where he had left um, these five ascetics practicing in this extreme um, kind of body centered or, or uh, disenchantment of the body and and, and extreme uh, practices of like not eating for days on end or eating you know their stories of the the, the the ascetics uh, would eat one, one grain of rice, and and they actually, um, when when the Buddha decided to leave, they uh, were. It's told it's told that they were making fun of him. You know, oh, you're seeking pleasure, you know, because you're drinking, you know, one cup of rice milk a day. You know, you're you're out, you're a big pleasure seeker. You know, and um, and the Buddha just you know said like this isn't the way. You know, and uh, and really the the idea here is that the first teaching. Um that the Buddha really gave to these five ascetics when he went back to find them is the teaching of the middle way, the middle path and um, he had come to realize that this extreme asceticism wasn't wasn't the wasn't the case and this extreme kind of hedonism also wasn't the case uh, this extreme pleasure seeking. so it's often taught that that was the first teaching that the middle way seems to actually be the first teaching, the understanding that one must find a balance from the extremes of religious life. Um, The the awakened one talked about the razor's edge, one side being extreme hedonism, seeking pleasure without end, addiction, greed, wanting. This even uh, comes out in wanting or needing to be right, arrogance, um, conceit or uh, what's also can be known as now is and, and then as spiritual superiority like I have the way and your way is wrong. Right? So the Buddha talked about that being um, a, a, a one extreme and that that ultimately also was a lack of humility there was a lack of humility inherent in in, in all of uh, of this extreme kind of hedonism. Or pleasure-seeking. And then the other extreme being to disconnect completely from the world and the body, uh, such as living all our lives like in a cave, growing moss, and seeking the pleasure of enlightenment through extreme avoidance of worldly problems. That this sometimes looks like a spiritual bypass or avoiding life's problems by immersing oneself in practice, like the Buddha did and the five ascetics. So there's this, so he talked about the razor's edge, this balance between kind of going into seeking and wanting and craving, and then this other way of just like completely disconnecting from all of humanity and going going deeper and deeper into, you know, concentration states even. some, you know, there's uh, lots of stories of teachers who have gotten deeply enmeshed in, in concentration practice and kind of removed themselves from the engaged uh, kind of interaction and seek of their own spiritual pleasure, you know, spiritual bliss. And, um, and the Buddha pointed to that neither of those were the way. Um, <clears throat> that the middle way is a path of balance, uh, as spelled out in the Eightfold Path. Actually, it's very relevant today in terms of consumption of products, technology, drugs, Versus the complete separation from society, political extremism versus doing nothing to create change. So this is another way that we kind of, even today, have these uh, these extremes that we're looking at. You know, there's this idea in, in uh, meditation practice of um, mindful consumption. Right? Uh, uh, again, it's about finding that that middle path. <clears throat> So the the Buddha wanting people to understand and awaken in his first talk gave the whole teaching the whole path to awakening and it's often talked of uh, like this spoken by one of the Buddha's senior disciples Sariputta So this is like a quote Friends just as the footprint of any living being that walks can be placed within the elephant's footprint all the wholesome states of the Buddha's teachings can, be, can fit and can be found in the four noble truths. So this is the kind of the all-encompassing. So really, the Buddha on his first teaching was like, you know, like here it is. And some of the controversy about that is that actually there's a sutta, that, that a sermon that the Buddha gave on his way to the five ascetics that was completely incomprehensible. That um, that nobody got, and and so and it was about how he precisely awakened, and so he. The, the, so again, the story. This is you know the, some of the more the controversy of it. The story goes that the actual teaching that was received is this teaching, right? The four noble truths. So in the first noble truth, the Buddha acknowledged that there is an inherent problem or disease in this realm, being the human realm. The Buddha acknowledged that all of life is. No, that not all of life is suffering, but that there is inherent suffering in this world. He was specific in saying, Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, death is suffering, sorrow, lamination, pain, grief, and despair is suffering. Not to obtain what one wants is suffering. In short, the five aggregates affected by clinging are suffering. So the first noble truth, right? The um, the 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 problem, right? Stating the problem, the diagnosis. So the five aggregates. I'm going to go over them real quickly because I think that they're important. They're basically that was the last kind of statement of of. Uh, of the some of the studies that I've done is that really it's the the aggregates, the clinging. And these are the things that we tend to cling to. Material form, our physical body and sense faculties, and all material objects in the exterior in the external world. So basically everything. Our mind, you know, our bodies, our cars, our lives. Feelings. The effective feelings of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Brings clinging, brings suffering. Perception, discerning the quality of things, including recognition and memory. So mental formations, all wholesome and unwholesome mental factors, such as compassion, volition, and attachment. So, uh, and then the fifth one, consciousness, awareness through contact between object. Um, and, its corresponding, and its corresponding organ. So, an example of this is, of uh, of consciousness is you know seeing and then connecting with the eye as the the sense pleasure of seeing, and then again connecting with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and then whatever attachment it is to, that we have to what we're seeing. Like these are the the clinging aggregates. And so, there's a lot more about that, but I just kind of wanted to run through them. I'm not going to go in detail today. So these are the. This is the, the the kind of the the problem, as the Buddha described, in the first noble truth that there is suffering in this world, that no one gets through life unscathed, that we will have um, suffering, and and then the second noble truth. That suffering is caused by selfish craving. Meaning identifying with any part of desire and clinging to having that thing or state being anything other than it is. So I'll read that again. So the second noble truth is that there's a cause to suffering. That suffering is caused by selfish craving. Meaning identifying with any part of desire and clinging to have that thing or state being anything other than it is. And I think we can all maybe relate to that, you know, <laughs> on, on differing levels, you know, wanting things to be different than they are, and and the, the and sometimes the action or the the uh, the aversion to uh, to that to the fact that things will always change. So then the the third um, noble truth, being selfish craving, can be destroyed meaning uh, one can come to an end of suffering so it's possible right there's hope we're not all just lost in uh in the sea of samsara right the sea of of clinging and attachment and and you know coming back and figuring it out over and over and over again that there is a way out there's a way to relieve the suffering in this life and that that suffering can be destroyed this is the fourth noble truth that suffering can be destroyed by following the eightfold path, which basically break down into three main points. Right? The, a morality group, or what's called sila. A concentration group, which is called samadhi. And then a wisdom group called panya. So I'm, I'm going to actually go through them. So uh, the first of the morality group, okay, ways in which we can engage in the world that will cause us less suffering. Period. This is what the Buddha said. This is what's written, that the Buddha said. Who really knows what the Buddha said? Right? We only can have faith. So right speech. Abstinence from falsehood, slander, harsh speech, and useless words. So being able to bring this idea of, um, of right speech into every aspect of our lives um, can, and you know, in, in, from this Buddhist perspective, will reduce our suffering right action so abstinence from killing stealing or uh, sexual misconduct and um, one of the ways that I use that I use this in discussion is uh, being wise with our sexuality and uh, you know not uh, intentionally causing harm so right livelihood avoiding any means of livelihood that involves harming or exploitation of others that this is the the, the morality group so the concentration group, right effort. Training the mind to avoid unwholesome mental states and to develop wholesome mental states. So in some ways, this is what the, the, uh, a deeper level of this meditation practice, this mindfulness practice, um, is all about. That we see when, when we get obsessive, uh, compulsive thoughts and tendencies in the mind that lead to suffering in the moment or in the future. Or we cling to the past, or we're reliving. You know, there's the history, or there's the mystery, right? So the uh, the next is right mindfulness, developing the power of attentiveness and awareness in regard to the four foundations of mindfulness, meaning the body, mindfulness of the body, understanding this the body's processes and the experience of this body, feelings. So knowing that feelings arise and pass away, the mind seeing the mind as, as again uh, an impermanent fixture. It's 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 not a, there's no fixed mind. It's in flux, and then mental phenomena. So the, maybe the themes of the mind that that continually come up, and that maybe we cling to, right? <coughs> Ideas of pleasure, thoughts of fantasy. So. Uh, so the Buddha talked about this right mindfulness and right effort as being very important to um, to awaken. So right concentration. So cultivating of one pointedness of mind. Again, this is this is ultimately the practice that we're doing in vipassana, in this insight meditation. As we are looking at right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Every time that we do this meditation practice. And and sometimes it, you know, it, as I'm sure many of you have experienced just in tonight, it can be very difficult, it can be very pleasant, it can be very rewarding, it can be very challenging, right? But this continually coming to the practice of right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration will will reduce suffering and then lead to the end of suffering. So and then the last uh, group is the wisdom group, Panya. So right understanding, so knowledge of the of the true nature of life, understanding the four noble truths. So more will be revealed, right? The more that we kind of live in alignment with the uh, the, the morality you know group, you know, which is really pretty simple, right? Okay, don't kill people. Try to cause the least amount of suffer of of harm as possible, you know, to yourself or others. You know, live wisely. Walk lightly on the earth. This is really, ultimately, what the Buddha said. So this right understanding, you know, like, so being able to f- further comprehend that, the, and, and I like the idea of more will be revealed. That the more that we, you know, sit and contemplate and watch the breath and see that thoughts are not who we are, feelings are not who we are, then then the more will be revealed. So, and then lastly, right thought. Thought free from sensuality, ill will, and aggression. So, I'm going to talk about the sensuality piece for a minute. Because the Buddha was really clear, right? That um, sexual power and lust is so strong that it's best to knock it out completely, right? This This is ultimately... What the Buddha pointed to, and the Buddha actually said that if there were two uh, uh, energies as powerful as sex and as sensual pleasure and and like sexuality and uh, lust, that he would not have awoken, and no no one else would either. It's basically what he pointed to, because uh, uh, of this quality of of uh, our you know our sexual desire. I mean, it's 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 in us, you know. It's part of our. Um, our instinctual nature, you know, but to be able to see to be mindful with that, to be able to be wise with our sexuality, right, and to be able to see how fantasy and um, kind of lust can lead to harm, can lead to suffering for ourselves, and be able to find that again that middle path, right? Find that balance. I um, I believe that you know in the tradition that I that I follow is 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 uh, Theravada tradition. And it's um you know the narrow roads what it's often called right and uh and often a monastic um view so the in in the monastic view it's very much you know like we we abstain you know renunciate uh and and, and you'll you'll know, kind of purge the mind of these lustful thoughts and and uh actions and 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 so cause less harm and, and move closer to awakening not so relevant if you're, uh, you know, a lay person, not you know, in a monastery, and, and so a more skillful way, I think, to to use this uh, teaching is to really be wise with your sexuality and see how see how uh, uh, how lust and how sens- uh, sensual pleasure, seeking sensual pleasure, and it's not just sex either. I mean, it's it's all the different forms of sensual pleasure, sensuality. And seeing how that can lead to um, to suffering for yourself, and then being able to discern right with mindfulness, being able to be aware of how can I engage in this, you know, with uh, awareness. So ultimately, this uh, this is the the eightfold path and the four noble truths. So this idea of um, this idea of diagnosis you know that there is a disease this ease there is suffering in this world and that there's a particular cause right so and so this is like where where, okay so now now that there's a cause we can look at it we can be really clear about it right and then um, and then a prescription right a way out a way to get better um, and this has always been really uh, something that I've've it's taken me a long time to, to kind of really see it clearly and I don't know if I fully see it clearly but it's getting more is being revealed every time I look at this particular teaching um, and specifically uh, for me in terms of this this middle way defining this this middle path Um and, I, and I, I like to think about it, and Mary Grace Orr talks about it a lot, as that we we have a boat, our life, our body, our consciousness, and we're in the ocean, and we have a direction we want to go, and we know where we want to go. And if any of you have been in a boat, a boat doesn't just go straight, that there, there's constant readjusting of seeing when we're, you know, over a little bit on the, uh, to one extreme of, um, you know, maybe renunciation or shutting out or, or avoiding, you know, uh, and in this practice, it can be, um, um, you know, deep, like just levels of like staying in, in, uh, uh, you know, deep concentration states, seeking um, awakening for your own benefit and or or uh self harm you know just completely avoiding you know spiritual life checking out i used to go sit in meditation retreats and then at after after a meditation retreat 10 15 days i would be so aggressive i would be angry i would like want to go like like eat hot dogs and like like cuss <laughs> at people and you know i just would i it would just happen And so it's like go to one extreme and then, you know, find that middle path, you know, not go to extreme hedonism either, you know, extreme pleasure seeking. So it's really this constant, like, readjusting and seeing, okay, where am I now? Okay, where am I now? And acknowledging and coming back to the breath, coming back to the present moment. And this is a lot of what this mindfulness practice is about. So I think I'm going to open it up for, uh, for questions or uh, anything that really spoke to you about this talk. It may be true for you that's come up um, in your own life.